Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in a relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah, release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. I mean, the problems are going to keep coming. I think we have to think about personal transformation as a series of small wins because what are you ultimately doing? You're basically taking yourself to a mental gym. It may feel like you're literally picking up a 40 pound weight. It'll feel like that having patience, like in a line or whatever it is that you're doing. But if you keep picking it up, you keep doing it over and over again, then you'll have it. Hi, my name is Mark Groves and I'm obsessed with understanding human behavior and why we do what we do. In this podcast, I interview the world's most brilliant minds and hearts where I get to explore alongside you every subject you can imagine relating to our human experience and how we relate. It is my deepest intention that we all learn how to create the life and love that we've always dreamt of. Now, before we get rolling, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. And one ask that I have, and an amazing way that you can help support the podcast is by wherever you listen to it, giving it a five-star review and a written review. With all that said, let's dive in and transform our lives. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. Today, I have Diego Perez, aka Young Pueblo. Welcome. It's so good to be here, brother. It's been a while, man. I'm really excited to be speaking with you. Dude, to have you back, man. Three, it's probably been, I want to say like a couple years since we've had a I think it's been like two years. Yeah, I think, and we've done like two of these before, but this might be like our third go around. It is the third. It'd be like Michael Jordan, but you come back better every time instead of worse. <laughs> okay, yeah, I hope I hope for the both of us because we're we're like avidly trying to do this deep work. You know, I was talking to someone recently who was saying, you know, I just when is it done? Like when is the work done? Mm. And I'm like, isn't that such a common question? When we, I think I, I'm curious your thoughts on it because what I see in that orientation to growing or changing is this idea that we're a problem that we're trying to solve. And so if we see the growth and the opportunities and the pains and the struggles as problems, that if we don't have problems, then now we're in the zone or we've found enlightenment or something like mm. that. What do you think? I mean, the problems are going to keep coming. Like, right. <laughs> well, yeah, that ain't stopping. Yeah, it's not stopping because we don't have much control over anything other than our actions. Um, I think it depends on how you conceptualize it, right? Because the work, right? If you're thinking about that in terms of learning, right? Thinking 
and intellectualizing, that's an infinite space. So that means there's infinite amount of things that you can learn. If you're talking about it in terms of building wisdom, like the type of mm-hmm. wisdom that helps you have less tension in your mind, that helps you react, you know, that helps you stop reacting so intensely, those are sort of habits or mental qualities that you can develop over time. And that work, you know, it's possible to be able to know enough where you can get hurt, but you know how to process that pain. Because like the, you know, people saying rough things to you or possibly a relationship not working out or something like that. Yeah, there's going to be some degree of pain there. But if you've been doing that deep work and you've helped resolve your past issues, past traumas, then when a new issue comes up, you know how to handle it. So I like to think about it in those two different ways. To be able to build the skill set through the struggles that we have, to have the wisdom on how to act differently, to then, you know, I think about how much life changes when we get to that state, when we integrate a new knowing from a previous pain. And and then we end up creating a different story, you know, and as opposed to repeating the patterns over and over of repeated choices. What I find is interesting is to witness within myself and also other people is how when you end up for the first time in the unknown space of new choices, we almost like flail and then, uh, maybe, maybe it's the wrong word, but we almost like relapse and go back to old self. And I think once you taste the mystery, like once you taste the, oh wait, I was just in the unknown and things were coming and I was creating and now I'm back in the known and I don't really like this known, this specific one. Yeah, what do you think about that transition? I love that point because I feel like we get stuck in, we almost become characters in a play, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's just like, we're keep repeating the same lines. I know if I say this, my wife will say that. Or I know if I say this, (laughs) my dad will say that. And, you know, it really hit me with the relationship between my father and I, because I knew that there was so much love there. Like, I love this guy. Like this guy, to me, he's such a massive hero in my mind. He had the guts to, you know, help move us from Ecuador to the United States for the chance for the like, right. Not, not even for any security, but the chance that out of I mean, that's life. courage. Yeah. Like such a strong individual, him and my mother, but my dad, right. He would only be able to take care of us through what he can give us, mm-hmm. you know, so he'd like break his back for us by just working, working, working. And I also knew that like, you know, deep down, like he had, a, he has a lot of emotions and, but they, they weren't really being expressed. So I thought, when I first started my journey and I was like, all right, I'm going to put away all the hard drugs. I want to change my habits. I want to start working out, mm-hmm. eating better. I, I need to, you know, just improve my life in every facet. I realized I was like, oh, I have the ability to act differently. And if I act differently, let me see what happens. And I remember that this moment where uh, my dad comes home from work, he's like totally exhausted. And I was like, I was like, Papi, I love you. And I just like give him the biggest hug. And I think like that was like a big moment, you know, where he was like, oh, we can do this. You know, like we can hug, you know, like <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's almost like you, you have your son back. You're like little child that you used to hold and carry all the time. Mm. It's just a beautiful opportunity. And I can definitely understand what you're saying that it can be a little awkward because you almost have so much space. You're like, oh, wait, I can just, I can do whatever I want right now. Mm-hmm. And, um, but then you learn that like, you know, if you put out particular emotions, you're actually like particular emotions, like compassion or patience you're actually inviting the other person to join you in that emotion, right? Mm -hmm. We're used to that in terms of anger, right? If someone's angry, like they're inviting us into their anger and we'll happily agree. But in terms of compassion, in in terms of patience, 
it's like, it's such a beautiful thing where you can just welcome another person into your peace. And sometimes they accept. To be in that, that's interesting because I think about when Kai, my wife and I change up how we dialogue or like we have a six month old. So mm-hmm. emotions, energy, willpower is you go to the automated more so, mm-hmm. right? And I think about this a lot about like I'm really in the the gym now, like more so than I've ever been. Because oh, for sure. Yeah, you know, it's like I don't have the same level of emotional willpower. I'm more tired. She's more tired. Mm-hmm. And so we might not be as conscientious of all these skills that we've developed to dance in language. But what's really interesting is maybe we sort of slide or slip. And when we come back into connection and there's a vulnerable apology or repair or whatever it is, when you just said what you said about we'll be so quick to receive or, or accept the invitation, you said anger and yeah, like the reactivity or the defensiveness mm-hmm. or the criticism, mm-hmm. which when I accept the invitation or extend it to vulnerability and repair, and it's amazing how that is so much of a healthier, more nurturing feeling, and yet it's not the one I reach for first all the time. I'd say even often now, which is such a beautiful reflection, but I, why do you think it is that we somatically, like that feeling in our, our whole, our heart, our nervous system is like, oh, why don't we just lean into that, that one? Because we know it works, right? Uh-huh. Like, for the most part, it works. If we're like so entrenched in patterns of criticism, response, defensiveness, stonewalling, all those things, to shift the pattern and change the system disrupts the system. It destabilizes the system. Like what you did right. with your dad changed, your dad now has to orient you differently. Yeah. I think, you know, it's funny because it, even the way you're describing it, it, it makes me really feel the almost like, survivalist like animalistic tendency where like we want to share each other's emotions because it kind of keeps us safe we're not like diverging from whatever the common narrative is in that moment it's like it almost feels tribal in like let's all be angry together and even if it's like the you know this roughness that we're passing back and forth but i I think it's just you know it's like it's a beautiful opportunity to be able to give someone your your vulnerability and even though that's harder like it's harder it's so easy to be angry you know, it's such a common feeling, but to be like, oh, actually, I'm sorry I started this argument, you know, because there are these, like, you know, listening to you too, it's reminded me of times where when my wife and I have moments of conflict and we're arguing with each other, it's almost like a sigh of relief when one of us kind of puts our head once again above the water and Mm. is like, Oh, actually, like, why am I trying to fight you about this? Like, why am I, you know, like, why am I getting so attached to being right? Like, why do I want both of us to share my point of view when you are your own human being and you obviously have your own perspective? And it's funny because you see one, you know, the one person is like, oh, actually, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry I'm speaking so roughly. And I don't even know how we even got into this argument. But that also gives the other person the opportunity to be like, oh, wow, like actually, yeah, let's snap out of this together. But I think it's just, you know, it's harder. It's harder. I know you have a new book out called The Way Forward. Mm -hmm. And you talk about really connecting more to our intuition. And in these times of, you know, very rapidly changing, welcome chat GBT to the room now. How do we, because, you know, we talked about how uh, the world's going to keep changing. Things Mm -hmm. are going to keep, problems are going to keep happening. How do we even begin to even become that centered self that is willing to take the step to put the head above water like that? 
to me, that can happen the first time, you know, and maybe your head gets chopped off above water, you know, but but it seems like it's a skill set that we can develop over time. That that like we become more resilient, we become more courageous, we become, you know, more willing to sort of like watch the world as it goes by and yeah. the experience, and we're able to be so centered in ourselves. How do you do that? I think we have to think about personal transformation as a series of small wins. Because what are you ultimately doing? You're basically taking yourself to a mental gym, right? You're like, oh, I'm not that compassionate, so I need to practice compassion, you Mm -hmm. know, or I'm not, you know, whatever quality it is that you know you can benefit from having, you have to practice it. You're not just going to automatically be great at it because you realize you're missing it. You have to like bring it up over and over. And it it may feel like you're literally picking up a 40-pound weight. you know, it'll feel like that having patience, like in a line or whatever it is that you're doing. But if you keep picking it up, you keep doing it over and over again, then you'll have it. You'll, you'll be more comfortable, you know, giving other people this quality, giving yourself this quality. And I think, you know, it's tough because like, that's just the reality of the world. Like it's, everything Mm -hmm. is always changing at every single level of existence. And we're seeing it more and more that it's not just this change happening at the atomic level or within our minds, or within our bodies, but it's constantly happening globally, right? Everything is just changing so fast from, you know, we go from COVID to crypto to, K- to AI, right? It's just like, right. it, it's just like the <laughs> yeah, big yeah. things are just constantly yeah. happening. And, and now it's like, oh my gosh, another thing that I have to learn about, another thing that I have to deal with, another thing that I have to maneuver, like for, you know, in terms of like, the, how can I keep my family safe? How can I keep myself safe? How can I be successful in this world? And it is hard. It's really hard. And, and I've been thinking a lot about, right, like how do you take intentional steps forward in a way where you still feel genuine, but you're also adapting in a good way without losing yourself? And I think one of the key ways is that we have to befriend silence. Like we have mm. to be friends with silence because if we're constantly scrolling, we're constantly on, you know, constantly listening to podcasts, constantly listening to you know, whatever it is that's trying to grab our attention, then we're missing out on all these emotions that are happening inside of us. And I think, you know, you know, I'm a big proponent of meditation. And for me, meditation has been a game changer because not only did it introduce me to being less reactive, but it introduced me to my creativity, introduced me to listening to my intuition, introduced me to developing a set of values where it's like, yeah, you know, I want to create things in the world. I want to be out and be active, but I have a, a a basis, like a guide where I know that I don't want to hurt people in the process. I want to try to be as kind as possible in that process. And at the same time, like develop my boundaries and whatnot, but, but I don't want to hurt anybody along the way. And having that sort of clarity actually makes things a lot easier so that whenever I'm trying to get into any situation where I'm working with other people or whatnot, I just try to make everything as fair as possible. But if I didn't have that, I would be making a mess in my life. Yeah, I know you're a big fan of Vipassana meditation. And that, I mean, you've done like 30 days. Is that the longest you've gone? The longest course I've done is 45 days. Silent 45-day course. And yeah, I've been meditating in this Vipassana tradition for for 11 years. And um, my wife and I, we just like recently were, you know, taking a look at how much we've meditated. And it's a lot. Like we've put a lot of time into it. I think. I've been in retreats probably for more than a year of my life now where that's pretty awesome. And it's never like consecutive, right? It's not like a whole, Mm -hmm. whole year off. It's just, 
you know, I'll do a 10 day here. I'll serve a 10 day there. I'll sit a 30 day. I'll sit a 45 day. And when I take them all, I'm like, wow, that's a a lot of time I put in there. How do you know when you're (laughs) like, I need another tune up? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, Yeah. So Vipassana, the word literally means seeing things in a special way to see them actually in the right way, the correct way, um, to see things as they are objectively without projecting onto them, without, you know, throwing our own narratives on top of what's happening. And it's a process where you basically learn about, you know, how this universe functions within the framework of the body. It's a very simple meditation. You know, you go to these 10-day retreats where you first learn how to meditate. You spend the first three days being aware of the breath, which which helps calm and concentrate the mind. And then you spend the next seven days purifying the mind by being able to observe all the different sensations that are happening on the body. And um, during that 10-day period, you just, you know, develop these really important qualities that are part of the mind but aren't strengthened and the essential qualities are awareness equanimity and selfless love for other people and i think it's uh it's just been completely life-changing for me man i think when i think back to what my life was like before like my capacity was so low you know i remember back then when i was in my very early 20s like i was so busy just like trying to get away from myself that I wasn't able to do anything. I, I, I couldn't, you know, I, I wasn't even able to like respond to emails. Like I was just so stuck in my own inner turmoil and having no pathway out that I was completely unproductive. And I wasn't, you know, had such shallow relationships with my family members, with my, my, um, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. And, and it was tough living like that. But I think for me, that's been the healing tool that's really, you know, helped transform my life. And I think, you know, of course, there are tons of healing tools out there. So you really just have to find something that works for you. But it's changed everything. And and I go back multiple times a year, because I think, to me, it's the most important thing. I think mm. I, I've understood that it's the biggest investment that I make, because it requires so much time. I don't know of any other way that would work for me specifically to help me take steps forward in my own freedom. And when I do take steps forward in my own freedom, every other facet of my life is better. My relationship with my wife has gotten deeper. My ability to work and produce has gotten better. My ability to even write books. Like I, I've, I had never thought of, of myself as a writer until I started meditating. When you say uh, step more into freedom, what do you mean by that? And how does uh, Vipassana offer that for you? Yeah, so the, I mean, the purpose of Vipassana, it's a... Uh, you know, it originates from the Buddhist teaching. So the purpose of it is really to just to be totally liberated from craving. We're mm. talking about the craving that causes misery. And when I think about taking steps towards freedom is that, you know, you know you're know, you craving less and being more equanimous. You know, you're being much more peaceful with the difficult moments in life. You're still very active, right? So, so don't confuse this with passiveness um, because being equanimous, having an, having an equanimous mind is a very active process that helps a lot of love come up and also a lot of decisiveness where you, you know, for whatever it is that you're working towards, whatever goals that you have, you actually are able to achieve your goals with less stress and with, um, you know, developing a much more skillful path to them. So when I talk about, you know, taking steps forward in freedom, to me, it really means just being less reactive. You come back from one, you've reimmersed yourself into the world. I will never forget one thing you told me. I don't think it was when we were recording, but I asked you like, like what level of presence do you end up having after like a 30, I mean, 30 days, mm-hmm. that's bananas. But like, and you said to me that you become so present that you can actually feel your blood moving. 
through yeah. life. And I was like, what? Like that level of self-awareness. Uh, yeah. 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 It's, um, it's pretty incredible. I think, yeah, you're literally talking about awareness, right? So we don't know the depth of awareness, like to the level of awareness that you can have when you turn it inward and you like keep it inward and you keep developing it. It's incredible. I mean, it literally can go down to the atomic level where your body can feel like just a rushing river of atoms. And it's just like, you can clearly feel how what you once thought of and felt as solid, actually inside of you, everything is moving and changing. And being able to feel that with peace, right? Because you're understanding that it's just it's just another changing phenomenon, just like everything else. But um, yeah, the levels of awareness that you can reach, especially in those longer courses, is pretty pretty astounding. How do you know that you're like, shit, I got to get another 10-dayer in? Like, it's time for... Uh to get jacked again on Vipassana. I, I think, I think um, it's funny because I don't really share my irritability with others, right? But it's like quietly, it'll, it's like quietly in my mind. Because before I used to be like, I wasn't like a pleasant person to be around. Like now I'm a lot like chiller and, you know, I've spent- You have a hard time imagining I've, that. Yeah, I've spent so much time meditating that it's helped sort of like smooth out those rough points that I had before. I still have a lot of stuff to work on, by the way. But, um, but especially the rougher points, like those are kind of smoothed out. But I can feel, you know, that if the if I'm so overworked, it's so easy for like the irritability in the mind to become slightly louder and louder. And it doesn't ever get bad like how it used to be in the past. But then I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, it's time to go meditate. But I also like I try not to let it get to that point because I know that like it's just good for me. Like I have to sit one of these long courses at least once a year and try to do a few smaller ones. Um, throughout the year as well and I because that's just to me it's like how can I not invest in the thing that I know helps me be the best version of myself like if I want to be a good husband if I want to be a good creator if I want to like be a you know a good son like I gotta I gotta I gotta put in my time what about for people who are like I'm not good at meditating that's, and my, I know favorite, that's my favorite line right. I'm like yeah me too like that's why we do it and we're we're bad at it and like we all keep going because it's something to what to put your attention in one particular place and try to keep it there. Like even in the meditation course, right? When you go for your first one, the first 10 day course, and they teach you how to meditate, they give you this clear, easy objective. Like just be aware of your respiration for as long as possible. And then people will be there and like they'll notice immediately the mind just jumps into the future. It just jumps into the past. Like you'll try to be aware of one, two, three breaths and boom, it's gone. But then you once, one, it, you realize like, wow, how wild your mind actually is. But then over time, you go from being able to be aware of two, three breaths, and then you're able to be aware of your breath for a whole minute, you know, or two mm -hmm. minutes. And it's like, whoa, that's like, even though that sounds very little, being able to be aware of your breath for two minutes versus being be, being able to be aware of one breath, like that's a world of a difference. And um, it just takes time to build a quality. And I think, yeah, we all suck at it. That's why we should do it. It's amazing how much that transcends onto if you can observe your breath, you can observe your thoughts, you can observe your feelings. Like you know, you you become not them. Like you de-identify. You spend that. all that time just being with yourself, right? Not running away because it's so much mm. easier to just jump into the phone to jump into scrolling, to jump into some, you know, sense door or another, whether you're looking at something or hearing something, whatever it can be. And, but to just be with yourself, like, oof, it's a huge point 
of freedom and power. When you think about using meditation or other tools that you might consider, because I hear a lot of people having a hard time differentiating between intuition and reactivity or intuition mm, and yeah. trauma or intuition. And, you know, how do you begin to decouple that? And how do you use meditation as a tool to to do that and, and also connect to what we value? Because so often our lives are centered around values we've been told and then we feel not really connected to ourselves. You know, we're preserving and protecting values that don't actually resonate with our soul. I know. And that's what we have to be really careful with because we don't want to adopt values that society sort of imposes and feeds into your mind as opposed to, you know, adopting basic values of life. You know, I try to hold myself to simple values like, you know, do your best not to lie, do your best not to hurt anybody. You know, don't, um, like I personally really enjoy not taking intoxicants. And that's like one, one thing that has helped me a lot. Like for me in my journey, it's just been one small step at a time. And even though it's been like an 11, 12 year journey, it took me a long time to realize that like, you know, I don't like alcohol anymore or like, I don't like smoking marijuana anymore. And um, once I started letting go of those things, it became difficult because society was like, oh, this is a thing that's so highly valued, you know, going out on Fridays and doing this thing and doing another thing. And I think, you know, it took a lot of time for me to just be able to develop these qualities in meditation and be able to do the actual differentiating that you were asking about. Because to me, craving, right, the craving that you hear in your mind, it's usually frantic. Same thing with trauma, right? That fear response, there's some like frantic quality to it. But when intuition arises, to me, it feels a lot calmer. It feels a lot like, it's almost like my body is like a compass and it's moving in a particular direction. And it's this calm knowing that will arise even when I don't listen to it. And even when I'm like, oh, you know, that's too, because like the, your intuition will often ask you to step outside of your comfort zone. And I remember when, you know, it was asking me to write, it was like, you know, you should write. And I could feel that, but I was too afraid to start. It took me like about a year to listen, but it would occasionally pop up, you know, next month and the month after. It wasn't like consistent, like, you know, like bothering, but it kept popping up until I finally listened. How do you think we use practices like that to get more in touch with intuition? And I do love that you you said that it's such an accomplishment to go from you could only hold one breath to you could hold 25. Like that's a, yeah. that's, a yeah. that's a whole different life experience. Oh yeah, you deserve a Grammy. Like it's it's, right. literally, <laughs> it's literally so hard to accomplish, but you can do it. You just have to put time into it. But I think the, you know, it's interesting because even with the, like in terms of like Vipassana, right? Mm -hmm. To me, it makes a lot of sense that when you spend a lot of time, you know, focusing the mind, purifying the mind, it becomes clearer what is right and what is not right. And you develop this sense of like, you know, okay, this action is actually productive, beneficial for me, beneficial for other people. But then when you think about craving, it's like, of course, like, yeah, I want to eat ice cream, but if I have a whole pint, I'm going to feel like crap, you know, and that's not my intuition talking to me. That's just my body, you know, just deeply, deeply craving another sweet. So I think over time you're like, oh, right, that's not the same as my intuition, you know, which normally I think often for a lot of people, it just focuses on bigger things. It's not like a day-to-day -day thing where, you know, like, you take right here, take, it's not like that. It's like, this job is no longer serving you. 
try to go do something else or, or this, this one particular, you know, offering that a friend is making you like, that sounds like something that would be really good for you. Mm-hmm. And taking those bigger leaps into the unknown. Cause I feel like your intuition does ask you to step out of your comfort zone. And, you know, you know, like if it's, if it's something that's good for you and good for others, even though it may be challenging, it'll be worth doing. This podcast episode is brought to you in part by Organifi. One of my favorite products from Organifi is their gold chocolate, and it comes out seasonally. So it is in season. And what it is is a superfood hot chocolate that is so damn healthy that you can actually drink it every day, and and you probably should. It has 10 superfoods that are ideal for rest and relaxation, so it's great to have at night. Great to replace dessert. It's 100% USDA certified organic. It is low sugar. And I think that's one thing about hot chocolate or any, or hot cacao. Like we don't wanna give it to our kids or drink it all the time because it's so packed with sugar. The average one has 200 calories, six grams of fat and 25 grams of sugar. So the gold chocolate from Organifi only has 23 calories, less than two grams of fat and one gram of sugar. I mean, this stuff is so delicious and it's gonna hit the sweet tooth spot. And as many of you know, I'm curbing the sweet tooth spot. And it supports a better night rest so you can wake up refreshed. So if this sounds like something you definitely want to try and you should try, go to Organifi.com slash create the love and you will save 20% off stationwide. So that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash create the love for 20% off. This stuff is absolutely delicious and all of their products I just absolutely love. So if you haven't had the green juice too, that's a great way to get not too sweet of a green juice that you just take and mix with water again. Super easy, much like the chocolate gold. Yeah, I think so often we have learned to ignore that sense of guidance. You know, I'll be working with someone and they'll say, well, what do you think I should do? And what I find really interesting is the way that that question is posed is as if I am an authority over what they're <laughs> being called towards. And what I always reflect back to them is like, by you choosing what you claim, you actually remove that you were taught that you are not the authority over your life, that you need totally. some outside, you know, I think especially because women are socialized through patriarchal structure to like seek the approval or permission of men which obviously they don't want to do. <laughs> I mean, who would want to do that? But that there is a healing of that taught hierarchical structure that there is an authority which can be government, which can be right, this mm-hmm. this way that we're infantilized, that to step into being an adult is to begin to trust that. So I think about, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, the complexity of, because the linear mind thinks this is one lifetime, this is mine I'm a biological being. I'm there's nothing more to life than just science and just that and and so we don't even conceptually think about what you're speaking to this awareness on an atomic level but mm-hmm. all this also this awareness on a multi-dimensional multi like if time wasn't linear that we're actually experiencing the fears of that maybe is living in our junk DNA. I don't know. We call it junk DNA because there again is the arrogance of humans that we don't, because we don't, we don't know what it does <laughs> must not do anything. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think? Yeah. yeah. I think it's interesting. I mean, there's a bunch of points I want to kind of pull on. I think, um, one is that linearity is a tricky, tricky illusion. I think mm-hmm. it's just like, you know, I love what Jiddu Krishnamurti said. I think he once wrote, um, time is the movement of thought. And I like could not agree more. 
I think it's interesting, you know, because something I found about like that lack of linearity, because it just depends on like your perspective. Mm-hmm. But I have found repeatedly that these people who have been meditating far more than I have, I've only been meditating really seriously for 11 years, but I have a lot of friends who've been doing it for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And um, man, they look great. They look, they look amazing. Like talk about longevity, you know, like they don't do any of this longevity stuff, but they physically, mentally are so sharp and they, they look, they look beautiful. You know, when I, when I look to my elders, I'm like, wow, like I definitely want to be like that when I'm 77. Like, dude, I have this, this one um, teacher, Barry Lapping, who's, he's like, he's like 75, 76, man, he looks incredible. And I'm just like, you know, it would be such a gift to also be in that type of shape when I'm that age. Mm -hmm. And I think it's had something to do with like, you know, putting what 50 years of meditating into that mind spending so much time in the no time time zone, you know, and what are you doing there? You're being aware, but you're not being stressed. And I think like that just weighs you down. And I think that movement of thought, the stress that we have, this is what sort of is like putting together this sense of linearity. And, um, and I think it's, it's hard to constantly live in that frame. I'm grateful that I have, you know, meditation to help me just like see more perspectives than, than just this common linearity that we're a part of. And similarly, I want to touch on the fact that you were talking about building hierarchies in the mind and building, you know, sort of, sort of like projecting stratification onto the world. I think about that often in terms of like, if ever my mind is building a hierarchy, then that is a sign to me that ego is being dominant. Mm. Right. If I'm like creating something where like I'm less and this person's better or that, or I'm better and that person's less then like ego, like that's what's happening there. You know, yeah. like I don't need to assess reality in ways where some people are better and some people are worse. And that's one of the things that I've been finding. And I, I'm curious about what you think about this too, because, you know, in terms in the, over the last few years, both of our audiences have, have grown tremendously. You know, we write and we share things, millions of people listen and when we do events, I think sometimes I worry a little bit about, you know, I don't want people putting me on a pedestal because I'm mm-hmm. just, I'm literally just like you. Like I'm, I'm, I, you know, make mistakes, you know, I have things that I'm working on and I have um, a lot of growing to do and a lot to learn. And I think when we talk about these different subjects that we care a lot about, I think it's so easy for the human mind to just be, just because you're on stage, they put you on a pedestal. And it's like, I hesitate sometimes to go on tour again, because I'm like, dude, that's unhealthy. I just think like hierarchies, they just expose you. You know, when you build them in your mind, it's like, well, you still got a lot of work to do, a lot more freedom to develop. I reflect on what you're saying, because I think even if you believe you are a victim to a hierarchy, you then are participating in the hierarchy, which is really fascinating, you know, to think like, if I say that, I'm broken and here's the person or teacher that's going to walk me out of this. Then now I, in the pursuit of the solution, I believe I'm, there's a problem. Yeah. Which I kind of think is interesting because it's like, sure, there's the reality that I have a skill set that I need to learn. But Mm -hmm. if I, I think if I code or categorize the, let's say, call it the, what I might perceive as a deficit, then innately I'm now um, finding the solution is outside of me. And so what do you think? Because it feels like even a trap and all, uh, we can come back to the hierarchy that's created with a teacher too. I think, um, yeah, both things. Um, one is like the, 
the teacher aspect, I find that the wisest people, the ones, the people, the people that I really listen to, they're never touting themselves as teacher. They don't even call right. themselves teachers. Yeah. Literally the most that I've heard them call themselves is like, I'm just a friend on the path, mm. a friend on the path who's walking alongside you. And, and, and I'm directly learning from them, right? Like there right. are things that they know how to do that I don't know how to do. Or if I come to them with meditation questions, like, you know, and I'm thinking of like two people in particular, it's like when I come to them from med- with meditation questions, like th- there's never any like egoic thing about them. There's, it's just like, there's so much sort of emptiness, peacefulness, mm-hmm. and this like compassion that's like, oh yeah, let me, let me serve you. So when they think of like helping you, they're not thinking of, oh, I'm helping you and, and I'm looking down on you. They're thinking, oh, let me serve you. Like literally, can, mm. and even in that, like, what a beautiful you know, intention, that word, that yeah. intention, right? Like, let me serve you, I think is, um, it's balancing. When we listen to sages, right? People, you know, people who wrote the Dhammapada, people who like, you know, I mean, the, the, the Dhammapada is the Buddha sayings, but like people who put together these great texts and whatnot, and you hear even Jiddu Krishnamurti often, like you hear, you know, truth is a pathless land or like things where, you know, you already are enlightened and things like that. But yeah. these are realizations that you will not come upon unless you cultivate the mind. Right. And often you'll find that like the Buddha taught 40 different ways to meditate. And there were these different meditations, but like once people would get these types of meditations, they would eventually end up in the same place. So they would spend time cultivating the mind, cultivating the mind, cultivating the mind. And then it's like, boom, the clarity arises where they can understand the truths of impermanence, the truth of, of no self, the truth of, of suffering. And to get there, it really requires cultivation because like, how are you going to understand the truth of the universe if you like literally can't even focus on one breath? I mean, the irony of not being able to focus on one breath when like one breath is life, you know? That, yeah. That yeah. It, yeah. And, and that one breath when present too can feel like a lifetime. What you're talking about with you know, you spend a whole day mm-hmm. and, and it goes by like that. But think mm-hmm. about, you know, I, I consider how much when you're present, when you're aware of what you're doing, time does actually move slower too. Like not necessarily oh in meditation, but I mean, you know, in, in a podcast or in a conference, when you're in flow and that hierarchy that happens, I remember when I first started writing and my writing was doing well, like when I when you started with a blog, which, you know, that like timestamps people now as creators. It's like, I started with a blog. It was before <laughs> Instagram. And uh, I remember saying to a mentor of mine that like these negative comments that I'm getting, which are inevitable, you know, I, I just delete them or I ignore them. And he said, well, what do you do with the good ones? And I was like, oh man, that's so powerful. I think that invitation that you're saying, because I think when the ego sees the self as teacher, then now you can't both be the teacher and the student, right? Mm-hmm. And I think of the uh, sayings, I think it's a Hindu saying, but you might know better than me. But it's like, he who knows not knows, and he who knows knows not. Oh, I haven't heard that one. That's really good. Right, and to think like, I remember Ram Dass starting a lecture where he said, um, like it was a similar line of like, he who speaks does not know and he who knows does not speak. And he said, I recognize the irony that I'm giving a lecture and representing, (laughs) right? And I think about how it's so easy with social media, you know, regardless of 
what you're teaching or what you're doing. Like maybe your social media is based on your abs or your butt or, you know, your pictures or whatever you're writing. We have now social media structures and social validation structures that you can actually measure your worth by the amount of likes. You know, that's yeah, that's totally. the easy way to be captured. Yeah. And I think about how social media is structured to capture the self and the ego. And, you know, coming back to what you said about a stage and an audience, the interesting thing about the stage and an audience is you're right, it is a hierarchy. And if you believe the teacher is better than you, more evolved than you, or whatever. And I remember going to speak on a stage, and I said, I can't believe I'm speaking on the stage with, uh, it was like Danielle Laporte. And, mm. and I had seen Danielle Laporte as an attendee years mm-hmm. before. She's been on the mm-hmm. podcast a few times now. But I remember my friend said to me, when you believe that you are not sure how you're beside them, then you put them above you, and then you are now captured by that. And I remember being like, oh my God, that's so interesting how the mind creates these structures. And then we can never have what we envy because part of keeping the structure is keeping the envy, you know? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. deconstruct consciousness, please. Uh (laughs) I'm really glad. I'm really glad that the conversation is going in this direction because like, I don't think I've ever had the opportunity to talk about this. Like again, like, like what we were just saying before, if you're putting yourself below or if you're putting yourself above, both of them equally dangerous. And when we're talking about likes, right, you have to be really careful with praise. Like praise yes. is right, because it's it's easy to want to just block the the negative comments and then like just you know feed off of the the likes and feed off of the all the positive comments. But at the same time, like that's just gonna blow up your ego as well. So like the negative mm-hmm. comments will blow up your ego because you're thinking about them a ton. The positive ones will blow up your your ego because, like, you know, if you believe them and you start thinking that you're so great, then you're just going backwards. Like, you're just like you're just making your ego bigger and bigger, heavier and heavier, which is going to produce bigger and bigger reactions, deeper and deeper attachment, more misery. Um, so that's just going to make life tough. And I think that's one of the hard things about like you know, I I really think of myself as like a, a writer, author um, when I'm in the virtual space, and even modicums of success, right? Like small amounts of success. We have to be so careful because what happens most often is like we quickly get lazy, right? And we quickly just like end up just either repeating ourselves over and over, creating different variations of what initially made us popular, or we, Mm. you know, are just go into a different type of imitation stream where we're copying other people who are popular now. And we're trying to like, you know, keep, adapting with things but at the same time when you take that route you just lose um you know what was genuine about you in the first place so in both routes you lose that genuineness and there was something that i heard from jay-z i forget which album it was on but i've been like holding to it steadfast he said i treat my last like my first and my first like my last and i think about that every time i'm putting together a project or doing something like I, I like to treat it as if, you know, this might be my last book ever and I want to treat it as if it's my first one so that I put everything I have into it and just do my best to, to make it as great as possible. And I think that type of mentality has just helped me, you know, just kind of disconnect from, I think in a positive way, disconnect from, you know, all the likes and all the positive comments. And at the same time, don't get me wrong, I'm extremely grateful that people are connecting with what I'm writing, but personally me Diego as an individual like I try to be careful with 
you know, reading the comments because I don't want to just, the last thing I want is to make my ego bigger because that's just going to impede on my freedom. I think about the correlations to this in relationship because, you know, in relationship, what happens usually unconsciously in relationship is there is one person who believes they're more complete, more resolved, more repaired, more healed. They got more of their poop in a group. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in, in like other ways we might structure that, we would say like, codependency, we have the one person who is um, maybe more anxiously attached. And then you have the other person who believes they're a problem. They believe that they're an issue. They believe that they're the ones who are at the deficit, need to read the book, need to go to therapy, need to do the thing. And what I find so often relationally is that we actually need to learn how to one, come off the pedestal of our righteousness, of the belief that we are the more fixed one. Because if we believe that, we inherently create and reaffirm the identity of the other person, that they're the more um, troubled one. And when we come back and remove that hierarchy, which I, I think it's really beautiful just to think that the vulnerable extension of like, I don't know why I said that, or I'm sorry that I started this argument that way, or you're right that this, there is a hierarchy that gets dissolved in that. And it says like, hey, we're on the same team. I wanted to add, um, I think, like literally right where you left off, like when you have that moment when um, vulnerability arises again and is open um, and people are, you know, apologizing for creating conflict or apologizing from, for accepting the invitation of conflict and just like jumping into the fray with your, your own anger I think there comes the opportunity for understanding. And I think that's like the most beautiful reframing that we can have when we're in a moment of conflict with our partner is like, you know, I I literally don't know what you just perceived, like, you know, or or why you got hurt because I, I literally only know my perception. I only can experience my perception. So when you know, your partner gets upset or you get upset, I think literally taking turns and each of you explaining your perspective and trying to receive that perspective as selflessly as possible, you know, without, and we're talking about giving your partner a perspective about yourself that is literally just about you and not about, you know, oh, like, you know, this is what you were doing and blah, blah, blah. But it's more so like, this is how I felt when you did this, or this is how I felt when X, Y, and Z happened. And being able to explain things from your own view and potentially, hopefully having your partner be able to understand where you're coming from and vice versa, I think, and a lot of times that, you know, my wife and I have practiced this, it just makes it so much easier to just let it go because then I see her perspective and she sees my perspective. And we're both like, oh, wow, that's, you know so sorry that happened. And then it makes it a lot easier to just move forward from there. I think that's been like one of the most powerful practices that, um, that we've put into play over the last few years. And, and I think what was it? Thich Nhat Hanh who said like, um, love is understanding. And I really, really believe that. And I think to go into curiosity when we're still in like the desire to be right, uh, I forget who said it, but it's like, essentially, would you rather be right or connected? And I Oof. think that's, it's such a simple, really good. right? It's like, it's so easy. I think that navigation of ego is fascinating because it's so easy to, for, like for me, for example, it's easy for me to go into, 
well, I have a good understanding of that, so I know better, or I have. But so much of like my work and everything has is has always been cultivated from the idea like I'm in the trenches with you. But the moment I get out of the trenches and I'm like, oh, actually, I don't suffer and I don't experience relational challenges, <laughs> and I don't. I mean, that's such a lie, anyways. Yeah. There's two things that I, I think when I look at what I get triggered by, it's because I don't like it when it's in me. So the first one mm-hmm. is when a teacher is not in alignment with their message. I think one part that I righteously create in my own motivations is that I don't believe I should teach anything I don't live. And while I do believe that's true, I think when I judge others for doing that, it's because I still haven't forgiven myself for before I really accepted that. And when that still can be true when I'm learning something. And the second part of that is that when someone is teaching from a place of, you were talking about it, like I can, brain can understand a system or a way of doing something. But if it's not lived, then the resonance of the teaching to me actually hits different. It doesn't hit. You know, there's like a superficiality to a a knowing that isn't a being. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes so much sense. And it's funny because the the Vipassana teacher, Asen Goenka, he talks about this like extensively in the course. And he talks about how there is the type of learning that we do on the intellectual level. And you can gain a certain degree of wisdom from that. But the type of wisdom that's genuinely going to be liberating has to come from direct experience. Mm. Like it has to be something that's felt. And even in the Buddhist teaching, right, they talk about insight arising while you're meditating. And it's like an insight arising within you, right? It becomes an understanding that it has come up and is now yours, right? It's a part of your being. It's a part mm. of your mind. That's cool. And I think it's that's one of the tricky things that you find in the self-help world is like, you know, there are so many books out there and you're reading about other people's experiences, but have you changed, right? Like have you right. yourself changed after reading all of these books? And I think the difficulty and the disconnect there is that you haven't experienced those things. And if you spend the time trying to build that inner cultivation where you can genuinely experience these things, then it's actually yours. Then it's actually something that is, real. And it's something that, you know, I actually, when I started writing, when I started writing under the name Young Pueblo, I made a deal with myself where it was like, look, you should only write about things that you've experienced. Because I know that when when you write about the world of personal transformation, about spirituality, like that's an extensive world. And people have already written a ton about it. So the only thing that I can help and actually bring to the table that's genuine and real are things that I myself Mm -hmm. have experienced and understood while meditating or while living my life. And um, and I think it's been really helpful, you know, because it's it's helped me develop a clearer voice as a writer because, you know, I'm writing about things that just, um, it's not just something that I'm, that I read from somewhere else and I'm just trying to say it in different words. It's not that at all. It's like, oh, this has been growing inside of me over time. Yeah, when I sit with what you just said, I think about if I'm reading something to learn something, I think where we get stuck in that, again, coming back to that hierarchy, is that if I'm not integrating the learning, then I'm maintaining that I'm just the student and also not the teacher. Like I'm just the knowledge pursuer, but not the knowledgeable. And that, in order to accept one's own knowledge and one's own 
power is to actually move out of that, that you are both, you are all parts of the hierarchy. You are all parts of the seeking of knowledge and the sharing of knowledge. When, when you wrote The Way Forward, what really inspired you to write that? And, and you know, it's your fourth book? Yeah, it's the fourth one. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I ended up writing that one because the, the trilogy was, it still, it still needed, it needed more to be complete. And so The Way Forward is the third part of what I'm calling the Inward Trilogy that started with my first book, like the first poetry and prose book. And um, Inward, if you haven't read it, it's like a you know, super hyper-minimalistic little book um, that just really focuses on personal transformation. After that, I wrote Clarity and Connection, which was the sequel to it. And that one focused on the reality that like, once you start transforming yourself, all your relationships change, like your mm -hmm. relationship with your work, your relationship with the, your friends, the relationship with your, you know, your intimate partner. And the way forward, I knew I was like, I want to end this trilogy. Um, it's another poetry and prose book. And like, I needed to be able to encapsulate the fact that the world is just constantly moving, constantly changing. And we need to be really intentional about how we take our steps forward in the midst of all that change so that we know who we are and that we can move forward in a way where it feels right, you know, that we're moving in alignment with our intuition, that we're moving in alignment with our values. And like we said previously, not the values that society wants us to have, but the values that feel particularly important for us in this lifetime. And that, that could be like holding on to like two, three, you know, like a, a small number of things that you feel really important to you. And in an ever-changing world, having a few guides like that, um, you know, something as simple as like treating people with kindness or developing healthy boundaries, I think those things can be really, really helpful to an individual when they're, you know, just trying to develop a good life. Yeah, I agree. I think there's one truth that just never ends, which is if you have good boundaries and your boundaries mm -hmm protect and preserve what you value. I mean, that's ultimately what their purpose is. You will have an incredible life. Like you yeah. will have an incredible is there, life. Is there a value? Like to me, like I think um, like one, one thing that I try to live by is I'm constantly trying to embrace impermanence. Like I'm constantly trying to embrace change. I'm trying to understand it. I'm trying to just like not fight it when it arises. And that's like something I'm going to spend my whole life doing. Mm -hmm. But is there something like that for you? that kind of stands out just like an overarching theme. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, well, the word impermanence really resonates in terms of what I think I struggle with a lot in terms of like, it's a healthy struggle of, and that's how easy it is to define a self and then, mm. then to be trapped in the definition. But I recognize the trap of stability, this trap of certainty of self, which is such an illusion anyways. It's just the hope to create, what you're saying, like in a constantly changing world to create some sense of stability, but the stability is not found in, in clinging. It's actually found in, in recognizing fluidity. So I think for me, yeah, that level of impermanence is something I'm always working on and recognizing where I'm actually the one who is inflexible or uh, mm. egoic or righteous or you know, falling into altruism or this belief that my intention is pure or better or, man, so easy to do. And I think with that, like the underarching thing that guides 
that desire to come back to humility as a value of like, you know, how am I wrong? How am I failing? How am I not seeing? Is when I first started writing the agreement I made in order to be a writer, in order to teach what I was learning about myself and my life was that I had to always be in integrity with what I was learning that like, nice. I couldn't learn something and then not change. And I knew that was going to be hard at the beginning because I had to like let the partier, the the person who was hiding behind one night stands and alcohol, all that had to die. Like, unfortunately, a slower death than was <laughs> right. But, <laughs> but the responsibility of writing what I was learning was that it held me to a level of accountability that I'd not held myself to before. And, and so integrity is the one that I think the value that I most like to be in alignment with my knowing that's really it. Um, that's really nice. Yeah. 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 I think it's, uh, I think it's powerful. I feel like, um, I love like, you know, when you make a friend and you want to hear like the core functioning of the individual, like what is driving you, what are you trying to learn? And I think for a lot of people, like you can whittle it down to like one or two or three things yeah. that we're learning in one lifetime. Cause like, Man, the human lifetime, even if you, even if you live a hundred years or even if like, you know, all these people working on longevity, even if that stuff works and you live for 150 years, that is short. We're talking on cosmological timescales. It's nothing. Tiny, tiny. And um, I think to be able to hone in on a few key things, I think can just, it can make life a lot better. Yeah, I so agree with you. I'm, what are some small things that people can do, you know, to begin this journey of, because, you know, we're saying like, hey, go hop on one of those 10-day Vipassanas. But like, what is something that people can start with to start to find some stillness in their minds, start to find a connection to their values, start to find a connection to self? The Vipassana retreats to me are just like so incredibly valuable. And I, I think if anybody's listening and they, they're interested, they should go try one. Just know that it's really difficult. It's like, it's not easy at all. Um, it's not like a like a pleasurable retreat, <laughs> but, but if you are interested, go check it out. You can find and all the information free, on, they? yeah, they're free. You can, you can find all the info on dhamma.org, D-H-A-M-M-A.org. But other than that, like if, you know, t- if you were to do something right now, something that I practiced before I started meditating was literally challenging myself to not run away from tough emotions and I think that like really, really changed my life um, because before, whenever I would feel anxiety come up, whenever I would feel sadness or some sort of inner tension, the first thing I would do is roll up a joint and I mm. would just like try to literally burn it away. Like I would just smoke and so that I wouldn't have to feel that emotion anymore. But I realized that that was just, you know, that was just part of the process of me constantly running away from myself. But what helped change the game for me was just like literally challenging myself, like, okay, I feel it right now. I feel that feeling that I don't like. Let me just sit. And I would just sit on my bed doing nothing, just feeling the feeling. And I think one of the biggest things that I gained from that was realizing that this is not as scary as I thought it was. Like, it's not like I was so afraid of these emotions before. But when I actually sat there with them, I was like, oh, I'm okay. Like, it's okay. I'm, I'm, you know, it's really going to be fine. 
And, um, and I think that just like introduced me, you know, cause you've been, we've been kind of hitting at this, like, uh, how important it is to reclaim your power. And mm-hmm. in that moment, it's like, it kind of just came together and was like, okay, here's a big chunk of your power again that mm. you've been running away from because you were so afraid of your emotions. And once I came in alignment within myself and was like, okay, you know, I'm going to just feel whatever's arising. Then you saw that, oh, not only does it arise, but it also passes away. So, mm. you know, th- those, those emotions just become a lot less um, frightening. I love that. Diego, this has been a slice. This, uh, I always enjoy our conversations and I feel uh, I'm reminded of so many things for myself. I know that you listening have, <laughs> I'm sure, been left fuller, more aware, more motivated, more connected. I just really appreciate the way you make your way through the world, which is with such intention of improving people's lives and, and doing it through your own commitment to your improvement. I'm For people listening, where can they find more of you? We have two previous episodes, so you can hit those up. They're mm-hmm. not the same. They're always different. And where can people get your new book? Uh, yeah, so I have a new book coming out that we mentioned, The Way Forward. You can get it on Amazon. You can order it at any bookstore. and um, I think, yeah, if, especially if you read Clarity and Connection and N-Word, you, I think you'll definitely enjoy this one. The other place that I'm spending a lot of time on is Substack. Um, so Young Pueblo, Y-U-N-G-P-U-E-B-L-O dot Substack dot com. That's the place where you'll get all my new longer writing. And um, I'm really just like loving that there's a space on the internet where there is no algorithm like in between you and right. I, right? Like if you want to listen to someone you just sign on to their Substack, and when they send you new writing or or a new podcast or whatever it is, you just receive it, and um, and it's quite beautiful. So, and also as always, I'm on Instagram y u n g underscore p u e b l o. Perfect. We'll make sure we link all that stuff out. Thanks so much, my friend. Thank you too. It's always such a great honor and pleasure to speak with you. 